Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Well, Father, we want to thank you for being with us this morning. And we thank you for the privilege, Lord, of uh, getting up early. And what better way to start the day than with you and uh, with brothers and sisters? So, Lord, uh, we just want to look at Matthew chapter 2. And, Lord, we're just asking that uh, through your Holy Spirit that you would breathe upon it. I pray for each of us, Lord, give us ears to hear that portion of Scripture that you're really trying to underline and drive home to us. Uh, <clears throat> we're thankful you're going to do that. And Lord, we do lift up Doug and Betsy and the family that you would continue to be with them in the grieving period. Uh, and also, Lord, and uh, if there's an illness that you would touch them. And Father, we also lift up Mike, uh, that you would get him back into full swing as well. Uh, so thank you, Lord, that you're hearing each of our prayers. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read. Matthew 2, and then we'll jump in and take it apart. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived at Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathered together all the chief priests and scribes of the people and began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. But out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he said that to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way and lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. <clears throat> excuse me, and they fell down and they worshiped him and opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night, and they departed for Egypt. And it was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord <clears throat> through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. Then when Herod saw that they had been tricked by the Magi, 
He became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its environs for two years old and under, according to the time which he ascertained from the Magi. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream in Joseph uh, in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and he took the child and his mother, and they came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Arachthus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Okay. <clears throat> As I was looking at Matthew chapter 2, uh, there's three major points uh, that came to me. Uh, one is... Uh, God responds to spiritual hunger. Okay, number one, God responds when we're hungry to find him. Two, God wants to lead us and guide us. It's a really big deal in the Christian life to have that assurance and to know that God just doesn't leave us hanging. He actually wants to lead and guide us in a plan that he knows is best. And three, <clears throat> there will always be Different reactions to Jesus. Different reactions to Jesus. So let's jump in and we'll, we'll unpack these as we begin to go through Matthew 2. So if you look there, uh, 2 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, first we know uh, that Bethlehem is in the southern part of Israel, at the very bottom, kind of, of Israel. In the south is the capital, Jerusalem. And Bethlehem is five miles even south of Jerusalem. So we're at the bottom part of Israel. Uh, he was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Okay, Herod was the king of the Jews. And he was under the authority of Rome. So he ruled over Israel, but only under the uh, supervision, you might say, of Rome. And the other thing to know about Herod is he also had a bit of Jewish heritage in his lineage. So we know a little bit about Bethlehem, about Herod. And it says, and behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Okay, this is the big deal. Who are Magi? Okay. Uh, from what we can see, if we do uh, our research, the Magi are from the east, which would mean uh, they were probably from Persia. So if you go up from Israel and go to the right-hand side, uh, you'll see up there in that area uh, is Persia. Okay. So they came from Persia. Uh, Magi, when it says, you know, there's another way of saying it is wise men. Uh, <clears throat> literally, they were wise. 
Uh, if you, we do our research, we'll see that they were skilled in philosophy and medicine and natural science. They also studied stars. Uh, so there were people that were definitely uh, inquiring. Uh, they were very wise for their generation. So it says they saw uh, a star, if you look at verse two, um, and they, they come to Jerusalem, okay? So here they are in Persia, and from what we can see, they traveled approximately, this really blew my mind, 900 miles, get that? 900 miles, literally, uh, to be able to get to Jerusalem. So uh, to unpack that a little bit, uh, we know that they had a star uh, and uh, they saw this star in the east. Now, the star, from what we can see, uh, could be two things. It could be either a conjunction of planets that came together. So the planets in the sky came and they uh, were able to come and form one big star. Uh, that's one option, scholars have said. Or two, God could have literally just dropped a very bright star in the sky. So if we get in their heads, they're over in Persia. They're studying the, the heavens. And as they study the heavens, they see this very bright star. Now, from what we can gather, uh, as we look back in history, is there were rumors back there in the Near East that something very special was going to happen. Uh, there were rumors that there would be some kind of a major king uh, that would be born in that time frame. So as they were looking at the heavens, they saw this bright star, they connected all the dots, and they began to get that intuitive impression that there was something very special and that a king had been born. And they knew when they saw the star over in the Western sky, that they basically had to travel. And back then, one of the major, major cities uh, at that point uh, would have been Jerusalem, which was the capital of Israel. So here they are, they see the star, they travel about 900 miles to be able to get there. Now, that's the first point I wanna drive home. These people were extremely hungry spiritually. And they displayed to me personally their hunger in two ways. Number one, they, they were searching the skies. There were, they just knew something was gonna happen and as they studied, they knew that somehow something special would be revealed. So they were, they were, in a sense, on tiptoe, waiting as they looked at the skies for something to happen. They were hungry. They weren't just lackadaisical going about uh, this or that. They were actively seeking something. Number two, think of this, and this is what really blew me away when I did the research. They traveled 900 miles. Now, you know, they didn't have a car or a plane. They had to travel. You know, we see them on camels. I don't know how they got their camels, horses, whatever. It would have taken a long, long time to travel 900 miles. It could have taken two years or more. So they were hungry. They were going to get there 
somehow, some way, they didn't care how long it took, they wanted to encounter this king that had been born. And that would be my question to any of us today. How hungry are we for a fresh revelation of Jesus? I want to say that again. How hungry and thirsty are we for a fresh revelation of Jesus? There's a verse uh, in Psalm 42.1. I like this verse. It says this, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is... One of the sons of Carl wrote that. This person is hungry for God. They're not lackadaisical. They're not lazy. They're actively pursuing. And they say, I'm hungry for God. I'm thirsty for God. And they're searching for God. They're on a mission. They're on an adventure. They want to get to know God deeper every single day of their life. There's a verse in Matthew 5, 6 that says this, blessed are those, do you know the verse as it goes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed, Jesus, this is the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are those who have a hunger and have a thirst, because they're going to be satisfied. Jesus said this in John 7. 57. If any man is thirsty, any woman, any youth, any child, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So that's the question I hear the Lord saying to to you, to me today. Are you thirsty? Okay. Are you spiritually thirsty? Are you spiritually hungry? Do you want a fresh encounter with me today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus said, if you're hungry and thirsty, if you come to me, he says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. I think he's talking about Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples. They couldn't contain themselves. The Spirit in them took them over, literally, and they just overflowed and left from the upper room. And began to preach everywhere. So that's the first point. And I think that's one of the big, big points I get. The Magi were hungry. They were looking at the skies. They were searching. They traveled 900 miles. They had a goal. And nothing was going to stand in the way of that goal. So I just pray that the Lord would drop that hunger in you and I. That we would pursue God on a daily basis enjoying him as he is at the moment, but knowing there's always more. The Holy Spirit is like an onion. I think can pull a veil away and say, let me show you Jesus. And you say, wow. And the Holy Spirit says, well, you haven't seen it all of it yet. And he says, let me show you more. It's a continual pursuit of who Jesus is. So the wise men, I think, give us a tremendous illustration of that. Okay, so back into one. They arrived in Jerusalem, and they're searching around, okay? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And we'll look at that worship in just a little bit. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod is upset because he is the king of the Jews, 
He wants to stay as king of the Jews. He doesn't want anybody messing with his throne. And here's a threat coming. There is supposedly a king that has been born, and Herod does not like it. It troubles him, and, and all Jerusalem is wound up. I mean, like, what's going on here? This rumor about a king is beginning to spread. So Herod goes to the, the leaders of the Jewish nation, those that are in the know, and it says here in verse 4, in gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. So the chief priests are the leaders of the Jewish faith. And the scribes, the scribes are the experts in interpreting the scriptures. So Herod says, help me out. Uh, there's a king born. I have no clue about who this king is, where he's coming from, wherever. Help me out. And here's what they said, verse 5. They said to Herod, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. And we looked at that last week. Interesting. That's the soap I did last week that comes from Micah, <clears throat> chapter 5, and verse 2. So, okay. Harry gets the scoop. Okay. The baby, this king, is born in Bethlehem. Again, only about five miles away from Jerusalem. Seven, and when Herod secretly called the Magi, he ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And if we put two and two together, and we see later that he's trying to kill all the children two years under, it's very possible at this point that Jesus is two years old. Again, remember, the Magi traveled 900 miles from the time Jesus was born. So it's very, very possible it took them that amount of time to actually arrive in the vicinity of Bethlehem. So, okay, Harry gets the scoop. Okay, this king is born in Bethlehem. And he says to the Magi in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Notice he didn't say search for the baby. Again, many people have this picture when the Magi come, you know, that there's this little babe in a manger. No, no, no. The, the babe is not a babe. He's a child now, probably somewhere around maybe two years of age. Okay. So uh, basically he says that I may come and worship him. That's a lot of baloney. The last thing he wants to do uh, is to be able to worship him. Herod wants to wipe this little king out. He doesn't want to worship him. So he's going to try to use the Magi to determine exactly where Jesus is so that Jesus can be killed. Okay, verse 9. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. Okay, so some people kind of get the picture uh, that the Magi, as they're east going west, are seeing this star, and they're literally seeing the star move in the sky until it actually gets to the point of resting over Bethlehem. Who knows? That's a possibility. Uh, other scholars believe they saw the star when they started out. They knew they had to go to Jerusalem. And then as they get in the Jerusalem area, 
Uh, they look up in the sky again, and lo and behold, the same star they saw originally is there again. doesn't really matter, but somehow the star uh, is the thing that gives them the ability to know where to go. Uh, and it says the star went before them until it came and stood over where the child was. So I don't know if they had a pinpoint. Okay, the star is over Bethlehem and over the specific place where Mary and Joseph and the baby are. Or I don't know, maybe they had a search through Bethlehem. They just knew the star said the child's in Bethlehem and they searched around till they found the baby. I'm not sure which way, uh, but somehow they do actually get there and arrive and see Mary, Joseph, and the child. And it says here, 10, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There was such a joy in them. It's like, oh, wow, we've seen the star. We knew the star said a king is going to be born. We see the star again, meaning we are going to see this king. They were excited, not just a little bit. It says they rejoiced. How? Exceedingly with what? A great joy. And to me, that's a challenge. Is that my response to Jesus? Am I living in a state of joy when I think of Jesus? Are we rejoicing exceedingly? You know, it's, it's sometimes easy for people. They make a commitment to Christ. They're fired up. They're telling everybody about their conversion experience. And then, unfortunately, they begin to cool off. And they begin to lose their enthusiasm. They begin to lose their passion. And I think that's something we need to watch. <clears throat> you can't make a commitment to Jesus and just get on a pause mode and uh, just kind of go for the ride, you might say. Uh, there's things we have to do to stir up our hearts so that Jesus stays fresh to us. And that's the importance of we're doing this up. We're doing the Bible study. Uh, we need to be in prayer and talking with the Lord on a daily basis. We need to be with brothers and sisters and be able to share back and forth uh, and be able uh, to encourage each other. So there's things we need to do to kind of stir up, you might say, the faith, to stir up the joy and the enthusiasm about Christ. So if you feel like, you know, you're kind of feeling a distance from the Lord and you feel like... Uh, I've lost some of my joy in regards to my relationship with him. Uh, ask the Holy Spirit, as we said at the beginning, to stir the hunger, to stir the thirst. Uh, and one of the ways to be able to do that is to get back into the word of God and pray over it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Get back into fellowship with some Christians that are excited about the Lord. Uh, take time, uh, again, to interact with the Lord throughout the day in prayer. So they rejoiced exceedingly. If you look at 11, and they came into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I think that's kind of neat. When they show up and they see the baby, their instinct is they fell down and they worshiped. They fell down and they worshiped <clears throat> a, a hymn that really speaks to me at Christmas. Uh, and two times in my life, I've heard this hymn and it just came alive. One uh, uh, of the stories about Oh, Holy Night. That's the, the, the carol I like so much is at one point uh, in that that song, 
it says, and the soul felt its worth. And I remember vividly as if it was yesterday, I was going to a Christmas party of a group of pastors. And I was listening to that song as I was going there. And I heard that and like a switch through in me. And I thought, wow, the soul felt its worth. You and I are worth so much. Get this. You're worth so much. God loves you so dearly and passionately that he took on literally flesh, left heavenly gates of beauty and glory and came and took on flesh, walked this earth with all of its struggles and pain and temptation and hurt and ends up being nailed to a cross. I mean, you've got to be worth something really important to the Lord for him to do all that just for you. And just recently, uh, when I was thinking about that song, uh, another word hit me. It wasn't just the soul felt its worth. It says, uh, and basically, it's the idea of the idea they fell down. They fell down. Fall on your knees. It's in the psalm. Fall on your knees. And I thought, you know, when we really see Jesus... I don't think we're going to just step and stretch out our hands. Hey, hey, good to see you. I think when we encounter Christ in all his glory, our knees are going to buckle. And we'll be on our knees or maybe we may be prostrate. Because when we encounter the living Christ and experience his glory, something breaks loose inside us that is way beyond our ability just to stand there. I think we will be humbled and instinctively bow down. And that's what they did. They bowed down before the child and they worshiped him. And it says here, they brought him three gifts, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And most scholars believe uh, that that basically uh, represents three things. The gold represents royalty, that Jesus's child is going to grow up and become a king. They gave frankincense, uh, which was used in the offering of sacrifices with the priests. Uh, and that represents Jesus as the priest, the ultimate high priest. And myrrh, uh, at that point, was always used to embalm bodies. And it's very, very possible that that was a foreshadowing that Jesus, this little child, is someday going to die. And he'll die on a cross for the sins of the world. In Luke chapter 2, uh, and if you look at verse 34, uh, we get a foreshadowing that this little child is going to have a rough ending. Uh, there's a fellow, Simeon. Simeon comes at the temple when Jesus is presented there, and he says these words to Mary. And this is in Luke chapter 2:34. It says, Simeon blessed them, that would be Joseph and Mary. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, for a sign to be, here it is, opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So he's prophesying to Mary that a sword will pierce your own soul. When she saw Jesus on the cross, her soul was pierced and broken. And even here at his birth, there is the prediction uh, that this little child is someday going to die a very horrible death. 
So hang on that idea of worship, uh, because it's one of the two reactions people are going to have when they encounter the living Christ. But here, uh, I want us to look at um, chapter 2, and if you look at verse 12, it says, Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Okay, that's dream number one. The wise men are told, do not go back to her. Verse 13, at second time, they're warned. And now when they departed, behold, an angel, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is the second dream saying, arise and take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So there you go. That's the second attitude. To destroy him. In other words, if we really see who Jesus is, if we really understand who he is, we're going to have one of two reactions. Either we're going to love him and worship him or bow down, or we're going to have the reaction is, I want nothing to do with you because you're threatening me. You see, Herod was threatened because he wanted to run his own show. He wanted to be his own lord, his own boss. And humanity, by nature, we're born with that selfish streak that says, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And Jesus basically, when he walked the earth, encountered people and says, hey, you know, take up your cross, follow me. Either words, I'm, I'm Lord. You make your choice. Either you're Lord or I'm Lord, but we can't both be Lord. Uh, and at that point, what happens uh, is many people do not want to hear that. They want to dull their conscience. They turn Jesus off. And Herod represents literally somebody that is adamantly opposed to the kingship and the rulership of Jesus in his own life. And he really shows that very clearly uh, in 2.16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. He sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in its environs from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. Uh, so basically, uh, he asked when they left, he, they probably said ah, back maybe two years. He figures, okay, two years, any child that's a male under two, I'm going to kill them to make sure, to make sure that I am going to destroy this child. Now, what's interesting, uh, Howard is not a nice guy. And I did some research. If you want a, a great aid to Bible study, uh, there's a set of series. Uh, it's called the Daily Study Bible, uh, and it's by William Barclay. A great investment. There is this study in every book of the New Testament. Uh, and Barclay gives detailed information historically uh, about what's happening in the times in the New Testament. Uh, just and it'll give you the original Greek words many times. A great study aid if you really want to get deeper. Again, that's William Barclay and his New Testament commentaries. But he says this about Herod. Uh, <clears throat> he was always suspicious. This is what he says. As he grew older in his old age, uh, I became more and more suspicious and a murderous old man. Now get this. This is interesting. If he suspected anyone as a rival to his power, that person was promptly eliminated. He murdered his wife, Mariamma, and her mother, Alexandra. That's kind of sweet, isn't it? He murders his wife and also 
uh, his mother-in-law, his elder son he kills, Antipathar, and two other sons, Alexander and Aristobulus, were assassinated by him. He's wiping out anybody that could possibly threaten his rule. Uh, and it's interesting, Augustus, the Roman Epner, said bitterly that it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of Herod's sons. Nice man, right? Uh, not nice. So he is opposed. And again, we have to see, where is my reaction to Jesus? Radical, radical differences. Wise men worship him. Howard says, kill him. It's very hard to be neutral to Jesus if you realize who he is. But I want to pick it up uh, in 2.19. So notice this. I never noticed this before. We saw in 2.12. God speaks to Mary and Joseph by a dream. 2.13, he speaks to them by a dream. Look at 19. And when Herod saw, uh, when Herod, I'm sorry, was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. He arose and took the child and his mother, and he came into the land of Israel. Third dream, okay? Look at 22. And when he heard that Aristarchus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee. Four distinct times in one chapter were told that God literally was leading Mary and Joseph where they needed to be at the right time. And in this specific case, to save Jesus from being killed by Herod. Four times. So you might get the idea that God leads always in miraculous, spectacular kind of a way. You know, either by dreams or angels. Um, and God sometimes does lead miraculously. Okay. Moses saw God in a burning bush. The apostle Paul was struck down on the road to Damascus as he's going to wipe out Christians. Sometimes God does speak spectacularly to get our attention to wake us up. But I think we need to know that's more the exception than it is the rule. So what I want to begin to really drive home as we're beginning to wrap up here uh, is that God really, 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 really wants to guide you and me. And I know if you're like me over the years, I've wrestled with that, uh, that the fact that God wants to lead little, literally, little old me that he's concerned about each of my days, and he wants to get me where I need to be at a given time. So God wants to lead us, and he leads us not always in spectacular ways. Sometimes he leads other ways, by circumstances, uh, open and shut doors. I know people uh, that have been out of a, a job. They apply to four different jobs. They have no clue, Lord, which one. Lord, I don't know what's best. I'm not all wise. Lord, open the door that you want. Shut the door that you want. And they've got, in four applications, three people say, we don't want you. One says, yeah, come on. In that case, God leads through an open door or a shut door, circumstances. God also leads from other people. Uh, many times I've been able to hear God speak through somebody else, uh, through a pastor that preaches a sermon, maybe a book that somebody wrote that was inspiring. Maybe it's just a statement somebody says in passing, but it's like God says, whoop, that statement is for you. 
That's why it's so important we gather together as the body of Christ. God speaks to us through the church, through people. Uh, sometimes God speaks through your conscience. That's a biggie. That's a really big. You know, you go to do something that the Holy Spirit says, nope, sorry, don't want that. Uh, so the Holy Spirit speaks through our conscience saying, yeah, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. And it's very important that we keep a clear conscience that there's no barriers between the Lord and us. God also speaks by a sense of peace in our hearts. It just feels right when I make a decision. Uh, there's a verse in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. So if you're going to do something and there's a check in you, something says, don't, no, don't, don't. You feel this uncomfortableness, then don't go forward. Wait. If God's leading, there'll be a sense of peace in here, a sense of calm. Also, God leads uh, through our reason. I don't think he said necessarily you have to throw your brain out. Uh, God does use your brain, uh, your logic at times. Uh, let's say somebody is applying to a college. Uh, you may need to do some research. If you say you want to go into biology, per se, or something like that, you may need to research, okay, what schools really are good in that field versus if I want to be an engineer there. So I think you can use your brain. That's part of the mechanism that God gave you. <laughs> but I believe the primary way God speaks is through what I would call intuitions that he drops into your spirit. Not so much he's going to speak in your logic <clears throat> or speak in your brain up here and your reasoning. It's deeper. He speaks into your heart, into your spirit, intuitive thoughts. Uh, I think we've had the experience, <clears throat> each of us, when um, we just get this inspiration. I need to pray for somebody. You know, I, I, I feel probably all of us have got like out of the blue, this burden comes like, wow. I'm heavy. I need to lift this person up. Or uh, sometimes it, it might be the burden um, to call somebody. Uh, I've had that. And maybe you have. I need to pick the phone up. You pick the phone up and somebody says, boy, I'm so glad you called. How did you know I was going through this problem and I just needed to unload what's on my heart and mind? God speaks through these little intuitive thoughts that the best again way I can put it is it's out of the blue. And you're just doing your thing. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, boop, something comes. I think that's illustrated by Elijah uh, <clears throat> in the Old Testament. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, God tells Elijah to do something, uh, to meet him at a mountain. It says this, just real quick, 1911. The Lord said, go forth, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, behold, the Lord was passing by. A great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Hey, here we are, this spectacular. Okay. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing or it's translated a still small voice, a still small voice. God has not lost his voice, folks, over the centuries. God is still speaking. He's still speaking. 
The Bible says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. If you've made a commitment to Christ, you're one of his sheep. He said, if you're one of his sheep, you're wired to hear him. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. John 10, 4, they know my voice. I can tell you authoritatively from the word of God, God wants you to hear his voice so you can be at the right spot doing the right thing. It's a process, so don't get frustrated. You may not identify his voice perfectly in the beginning of your walk, but as you get to know him more and more and develop that intimacy, you begin to hear his voice. That gets me back to where we started as we're wrapping up here. Be hungry for the Lord. Be thirsty. Long to know him more. Long to develop an intimacy with him. Because the closer you become to him, the clearer his voice becomes. And then as we develop that intimacy, we hear his voice. And again, that's the right reaction we have. Then we don't oppose him. We don't fight him. But the more we know him and his love, the more we love him, the more we hear him, and the more we want to obey him. So the Magi, I think, have a lot to say to us. They were wise, and hopefully we're wise. I remember little phrase way back when I was ministering a number of years ago. I said, wise men still seek him. Wise women still seek him. Seek the Lord. And the more you seek him, the more you'll find him. And the more you find him, the more satisfied and more effective you will be in your witness. So let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for this amazing story of the wise men and the Magi. We thank you, Lord, for their tremendous hunger for you. Lord, I pray you'd put that hunger in each and every one of us today, a hunger to know you more and show you more. And Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that... Uh, the Magi began to hear you uh, through the scriptures that were quoted. And I believe you'll speak to us through your word, Lord. And you'll speak to us through that little voice, that still small voice. And Father, we thank you that the they, uh, Magi give us a great, great picture of how we're to respond. They fell on their knees. Help us, Lord, at this Christmas season not to get so busy running around doing so many things that we wear ourselves out. And Lord, that we have no time to be still and to fall on our knees and to worship you. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We give it to you. We give you the rest of this season of Advent. Prepare us, Lord, for that special day of your birth. And we thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great day and uh, enjoy this day and the rest of the time to Christmas. Amen.